Thanks for joining us at Faith Bible Chapel. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and brings you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service, find a small group, or simply find out more about the church, stop by our website at www.faith.church. Today, this is the intro to this to this series, and my, my desire in my heart is that, uh, that God would whet your appetite to know more about Jesus, to know more about this incredible book as we get into it. A lot of pastors don't do, um, don't do a series on the book of Hebrews just because there's a lot of um, types and shadows and references to Old Testament sacrifice. But I believe that the whole of the Bible is for edification, for, to teach us, to challenge us, to rebuke us, to, to, to heal us. And so we're going to allow the Word of God, the inspired, perfect, inherent Word of God to speak to us through this series. And I pray that God really, really ministers to us. My desire in this is that we'd all take a step forward and we could place Jesus in his rightful place in our lives. Because this book is going to be challenging. This book is going to, to, to I, I, I wrote some things down, some of the, the, the things that I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do. That as we look at this book, it's going to challenge and change our belief system. It's going to poke holes in our flawed theology. And I pray that you have the humility enough to allow the Holy Spirit to do that. I, I desire God to challenge me every day. And for, you know, when you walk with the Lord, maybe for a while, or, or maybe you're older in your journey, what happens is we become unmovable and unteachable. And that is a very scary place to be as a follower of Jesus. And this book challenges and pushes on us because the purpose of the book is to, is to remove anything out of your life that's keeping Jesus from having his rightful place in your life. And so if you will just commit to going on this journey with me, God's going to do an amazing thing in our lives. Because this is what, through this book, as we're going to get into it, the word better appears 13 times in this book. And so by the end of this, my hope is that we will see Jesus in his undeniable, exalted, superior place in our life, in the church, in the world, and for God's kingdom to come. And we would see him as more, as greater than anything else. Amen? But before we get into this, I, I want to give you some context today of this book before we really get into the series. Because the purpose of this book was written to encourage followers of Jesus to stay the course don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. But this book was particularly written to Jewish followers of Jesus. And when this time, or when this book was written, the time was there was a great persecution towards Christians. Rome, in the beginning, hated Christians. The Roman Empire hated Christians. Matter of fact, we find emperors who would, who would use Christians and light them on fire to be lights at their gatherings and parties. They, Christians were despised. As a matter of fact, the, the Christian faith, when this, when this book was written, was illegal. It was illegal to be a follower of Jesus. And so when we look at this book, we also realize that there were sacrifices still happening in the temple in Jerusalem. So we know this book was written before 70 AD because at 70 AD, Jerusalem was destroyed by Rome. Just as Jesus had prophesied it out of Matthew and, and, and a couple of the Gospels. But we know that this book was written before the temple was destroyed. But during this time, there was an incredible, again, persecution of followers of Jesus. And so these Jew Jewish followers that this book is written to, 
They're followers of Jesus. They had, they had a way, though, of escaping this persecution. They could put an end to their suffering. And how they could do that is they could get out of trouble from Rome if they wanted to. They could escape the persecution. They could escape the abuse from Rome if they were then to take their families back to the synagogue. And the only way to get back to the synagogue was they had to make some public declarations because Judaism was not outlawed, but Christianity was. And so here you had these Jewish believers, these Jewish followers of Jesus, who now because of the sacrificial system in the temple rejected Jesus as the Messiah. They had acknowledged him that he was the ultimate sacrifice, that he was, he was the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundations of the earth, that no longer are sacrifices needed for the remission of sins, that Jesus put a nail in our sins and hung all of our sins on the cross, redeeming us from all unrighteousness. They knew that they, they did not need to go back to the temple, but it could be a safe place for them they could just go back and you know maybe you know maybe a wife in the midst of their persecution said listen listen sweetheart if, let's just go back we can just pretend we can just be secret followers of Jesus we can just we can just engage in the sacrifice just like they're doing in the temple but here here's the cost of that though at the of going back in order to go back into the synagogue, in order to engage again in Jewish um, sacrifices of the old covenant, they would have to do something. They'd have to stand up before all of the people of the temple and they would have to publicly declare that Jesus is not the Messiah. He was not the Lamb of God and that they needed to continue in these sacrifices. And ultimately what they were saying is this. In order to do that, what they, they would be saying to God is, God, your precious son and the sacrifice on the cross was not good enough for me. Therefore, I'm returning to the old way of sacrifice and going that direction. So they were at a dilemma. But these followers of Jesus, they had, they had heard the message of Jesus. They'd put their trust in the Messiah. They had seen how Jesus was the Messiah that the Old Testament had spoken of and pointed to, that the prophets had pointed to, that the sacrifice in the temple was, was not the completion. The sacrifice in the temple was to remind them that there would be a Savior to come who would be the ultimate sacrifice. They'd experienced the forgiveness of sins. They'd experienced the removal of the guilt and shame in their lives. They had felt their hearts renewed and regenerated by the grace and the love of God through his son, Jesus Christ. But now their kids are being persecuted in school. They're losing their jobs. The property is being ripped out from underneath them. Husbands are watching their wives being persecuted and beaten and, and encouraged to reject Jesus and, and just go back to Judaism, just go back to the, to the safe place. But they couldn't reconcile. If I go back, I have to reject Jesus. I have to deny that Jesus was the Messiah. And they act, just so you're aware, of engaging again in animal sacrifice for the remission of sins. It's a profane act in the face of God. That's why in Hebrews, he's encouraging them, don't go back to what's that, what is less than what you have now. 
Don't return to the sacrifice. You have Jesus. He is better than. He is greater than. He is more, more, more powerful. He's the one who cleansed you. That's why in Hebrews 6, 6 it says this, that if they were to go back, if they were to engage again in the sacrifice of animal sacrifices in the temple, they, meaning those making the sacrifices, are crucifying the Son of God. It's like they're crucifying him all over again and subjecting him to the public disgrace. This was profane. So this book is to them and it's to us to tell all of us that are listening to this today to stand firm, to don't give up, to don't turn your back regardless of the pressure, regardless of the pain. Stay firm in your faith. Don't drift away. Don't return to what is less than what you have today. And he shows them and us through this book the superiority, the beauty, the power, the majesty, the love, and the grace of Jesus. And this is what we want to experience over the next 10 weeks of understanding the incredible work of Jesus Christ. And what we're going to hear over the next 10 weeks can be summed up into this statement that we're going to hear and that the writer of this book was telling these Jewish followers of, of Jesus, please don't go back to the temple. But do go on because Jesus is greater and better than anything you'll ever find at the temple. So I titled this message today, God Has Spoken. And there's a finality and the words of these first three verses out of the book of Hebrews that are so packed and so loaded. So I want to get into them today and just allow the Lord to speak to us through his word. Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 1 through 3, says, In the past, and remember the writer's writing to the Jewish followers of Jesus and to us today. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets. At many times and in various ways. But in these last days, the last days are, are, was any day after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. We are in the last days. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. And through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory. And the exact representation of God's being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he, meaning Jesus, had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty in heaven. So I want us to learn some life-changing truths about Jesus today. I want us to Allow Jesus to come into his rightful place in our lives, in our families. And as we begin to place Jesus in his rightful place, as we do that, it demands our absolute and total worship and adoration of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So let's learn the first life-changing truth. Number one from this passage, Jesus is God's final word to us. Jesus is God's final word to us. We, we read in the passage, in these last days, he, meaning God, has spoken to us by his son. Now, we know this throughout history, throughout the Jewish history, throughout all of history, God has spoken in different ways. He's spoken through angels. He's spoken through the burning bush. 
He's spoken through dreams, and he's even spoken, spoken through Balaam's donkey, which gives me, a, a, just encourages me a lot that there's actually a chance for me. But however, God's main communication, his main method through the Old Testament was to speak through the prophets. But once Jesus came to this earth, God said, this is my final way to talk to you through my son Jesus Christ and to speak to you from everything that he has done. Now since Jesus, we do know this, there have been others who have claimed to have the, a final message from God. 600 years after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, an Arabian man named Mohammed claimed to receive God's final message from God. And he wrote it down in a book called the Quran. And he claimed his revelation superseded that of the prophet Isaiah, which pointed to Jesus and Jesus himself. In 1830, a man named Joseph Smith claimed he received a more final revelation from God, and it was called the Book of Mormons. But with zero apologies to the Muslim and to the Mormon, Jesus and the Bible we have is the final word from God to his people. That's it, period. And that's why out of John 18, we find Jesus speaking, and he says this, I was born, and for this cause I was born, I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Jesus is the final word of truth to his church and to the world. Now, God's still giving fresh revelation and fresh um, illumination to the study of his word. He gives peace to us through, as we make life's choices on which direction to go. He speaks prophetically to us. But it's important that we understand that God isn't, isn't giving any new revelation that supersedes the written word of God that we have today. So when you hear someone, someone say, listen, well, God, God spoke this to me or God showed me this and God took me up to the eighth heaven and revealed this to me. Listen, be very careful. Test it with the word of God. Make sure that all of what they said completely agrees with all of Scripture because there is a warning in the Bible. That if you begin to say that a new revelation that you come up with and you think it is, it is equal with or superior to, Revelation says this, that if you add, if anyone adds the words to the prophecies that we have in Scripture to the Word of God, that if he or she adds their revelation and it is equal to or supersedes the written word of God that we have that says is that God will add to him or her the plagues listed in the book. So this is what I know. I don't want to be on the other end of God's judgment stick. Do you? And so we need to be very careful and understand that Jesus, God's son, is the final word to the world. Number two, life-changing lessons to learn from Jesus is from this passage. Number two, everything in the universe is made by, for, and sustained by Jesus. Remember the book of Hebrews is reminding these precious people of the position of Jesus. Constantly all through the book reminding them Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. That's why it says in Hebrews 1, it says this, that through whom he also made the universe, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Now, when they received this letter, they were being tempted to renounce Jesus. 
And this book is, is reminding them that Jesus is the true king. Again, again, the writer's positioning Jesus in, its, in his rightful place in their life and in their faith. This book is reminding them that Jesus is the Lord of all lords. Jesus is the faithful one of Israel who from his seat of majesty not only made all things but laid his life down to redeem all things which includes you and includes me today. And once we are aware of his rightful place, of his superiority, of his majesty, of all that he is, all it does, it it demands, it commands from us that we worship him and serve him only in our lives. But today, we need to embrace the same truth in our life. Jesus is the king over the church. Jesus is the king over all believers. Jesus is the king over you. Jesus is the king over the world. That's what we need to we need to we need to have that revelation and let these words speak to us because many times it's hard for us to really understand that. We say, yes, Jesus is he's a friend, and he is. Jesus is a kind, loving savior, and he is. But he's also the heir of all things. He's also the inheritor of all things in the universe. He's also the one that all creation bows to, is reverent to, and is subject under him and to him in everything that we see, everything that we are, everything that exists is subject and submitted under the kingship and lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what we need to understand. Jesus is just not enthroned above, uh, upon all earthly realms, but he's also, according to the Bible, he is exalted to the right hand of majesty on high. And we are, once we believe this, once we embrace this, our lives begin to act like that's true as believers. As we embrace these truths, our response is to the truth. Once you allow Jesus to be in the rightful place in your life, no temptation can lead you away. As these Jewish believers were tempted to return to the temple for safety, but, but also tempted to return by renouncing Jesus. And let's just go back to what is safe and let's just go back to what we're familiar with. Happens the same in our lives as well. As, as we walk with the Lord, we, we walk with him, we get shadows, we get we get pictures and we get feelings and thoughts of the, of the sin and the life we used to live. And in the middle of our journey with God, we say, boy, maybe that would be nice. And so we're tempted to return to what is familiar. We're tempted to return to the sin of which Jesus redeemed us and laid his life down for. Out of the book of Jeremiah, it shows returning to your old sins that have been forgiven. He says it is like a dog returning to its vomit to eat it. It's horrific. But this is what this whole book is about. Again, telling, telling them as believers, do not return to the old way. Do not return to the old covenant. And we embrace these truths. And regardless if you are in pain, If when you embrace these truths, our our lives line up and it it commands obedience once we see Jesus exalted in his rightful place. That we hold fast to him. That we fix our eyes on him regardless if we're in the midst of trials. Once we see Jesus for who he is, he will keep us. 
and help us from embracing the world's ways. It will keep us from embracing the world's belief system that maybe will make our life easier. Or maybe it would help us fit in a little better. Maybe if we just accept all the beliefs of the, then, but we'll be okay. And we'll just be a secret Christian who celebrates the sin in the world. Knowing Jesus is better than the sin and the filth of our past and of the world. Knowing that he is superior helps us hold fast because we know one day, regardless of what we go through, regardless of what we face, one day he will return and he will manifest his kingdom over all creation. He will destroy all of his enemies and he will invite us, his faithful followers, to enter into his beautiful, joyous, amazing kingdom. Amen. And I know sometimes it's hard to see Jesus as the superior reigning king because we fully don't see everything with our eyes. We don't, it's hard for us to see that everything is subject to him when we see so much pain in the world, when we, when we experience life in our, in our own being of sickness or depression or, or pain. And once we begin to see all, the, all these things, I, I, it's understandable that there would be fear in certain areas. And I understand we can have anxiety and we can maybe go through a season of unbelief and uncertainty. But by faith, once we understand the truth of who Jesus really is, once we understand that he is, he is not one who will be crowned, but he is one who is now crowned with glory and honor. And my friends, someday soon we know this, that every eye will see him as the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Every knee will bow and every tongue and nation will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So the message for you and your life for these believers that this book is written to, regardless of what you're facing, hold on, hold fast, and be confident that Jesus is better. He's better than anything. The third truth about Jesus is this. Number three, Jesus reveals the glory and the nature of God. Listen, if you want to know what God is like, if you think, you know, I just wish I could just know what God's like. Listen, you don't have to look any further. If you want to know what God is like, just look at Jesus. That's why verse 3 says this, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Without God's Son, Jesus, the world would remain in this dark cloud regarding the glory of God. But with Jesus, we have, a, we have a perfect understanding of what God is like. That's why Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, he said this, God, speaking of God, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. And these words from Hebrews that are speaking to us today are telling the Jewish followers of that day. They're telling the followers of Jesus that Jesus is a better revelation than what came through the prophets. 
that he fully reveals God to this world because he is the exact imprint of God's character and of God's nature. That's why Jesus said this in John 14, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. When you have an understanding of Jesus and his power and his majesty and his superiority, it compels us to keep loving him, to keep pursuing him. And that we know this, that his way and Jesus is better and superior to anything that once was or will be offered to us today. And the reason why these Hebrew Christians could not turn from Christ back to Judaism was not that the Old Testament was wrong, but it was that the main message of the Old Testament was to point to a Savior yet to come. If you want to understand the Old Testament, then approach it that way because that's the way to approach it. Everything in the Old Testament is pointing to a Savior that is to come. It's pointing to a sacrifice that will be final. It's pointing to, a, to one who would come and die in our place. It's pointing everything from the, from the candlesticks to the stuff in the temple, from all the details and everything they had to do was pointing to one person, a one person in history, and his name is Jesus Christ. This is what this whole book is about. That Jesus was the Savior that the Old Testament was pointing to. Not just pointing to, but he was the Savior that would accomplish it for all of mankind. And if you have Jesus Christ, you have the real thing. And these people were chasing what, what was and they were missing out on the real thing. I often say it's like this. It's like smelling bread and, and, and smell. Oh, come on, you just got to smell this bread and smell the bread. So you smell it. <sighs> smells so good. Oh, this bread smells like this. And you write, you know, food blogs and articles about how the bread smells. And the bread smells this way. And the bread was cooked this way. And the bread went through this. And they put this much yeast in it. And then they needed it for this many hours. And the, the bread rose. And the smell of the yeast. And then they baked it. And the glossiness of the, of the butter sheen that was on top of it just arose. And, and the bread, the smell of it, the smell of it. And someone says, well, did you eat it? No, I never did eat it. What? The Old Testament is telling us of the smell of the bread. But now Jesus is here and you can taste and see that the Lord is good. We have the real thing. And if you have Jesus, and as these Jewish followers of Jesus need to understand, if you have Jesus, you have access to every need being met in your life according to God's sovereignty and purpose. That every fear that you may have now can be brought underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ as you elevate him as the superior being in your life. That as you put Jesus in his rightful place, you can understand that every sin has been wiped away and can be wiped away from you. You don't need anything else in this life because he is better than anything else. This is the message of this book to you and I. The last truth about Jesus out of these scriptures is this. Jesus is the only one who could cleanse us from our sins. He's the only one. That's why it says this in Hebrews 1.3. says, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down 
at the right hand of majesty in heaven. Which you think, wow, that's amazing. But why did it say he sat down? What does that have to do with anything? I sit down all the time. What does that have to do with with, with anything? That's why it's important you have to understand the context of this book. What God is wanting to remind us today is that Jesus has offered himself as the one true sacrifice to take away our sins. And we must understand this message in order to be saved. Because we would be wondering and we would be confused. We would be left to our own demise unless Jesus, the Lamb of God, unless Jesus laid down his life for our sins, unless Jesus made final purification for us on the cross. There was something unusual about the temple. It wasn't set up like we have chairs here. There actually were no chairs in Jerusalem in this temple. And there was no place to sit down in the temple. There were different instruments for worship, but no seat was around for the priest to sit down. The reason was because their work was never finished. They made a sacrifice. Well, that sacrifice is is okay until another sacrifice is needed. They they would take a a yearly sacrifice to cover the sins of the past, but until the next year, you're going to need another sacrifice to pay for your sins. But it didn't even pay for your sins. It just covered them as an act of faith. It didn't remove the shame. It didn't remove the guilt. But again, everything of Judaism was pointing to the coming Savior. The completion of the whole message of God from the beginning of the Bible was pointing to a Savior that would be superior and greater than, greater than the prophets, greater than Moses, greater than the law, that Jesus would fulfill it all. And so the work was never finished with the priests in the temple. They were always making sacrifices. They were always performing duties. But when Jesus made Our Savior made the final sacrifice on the cross and nailed the sins of the world and took all the sins upon his body and he nailed them to the cross. He did something no human priest has ever done. When he was done, he sat down and he was finished. And today, Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father and he's waiting for the time When the father says, son, it's time to go get your church. It's time to go get your people. It's time to go claim her and bring her home. He sits on a throne now in heaven to indicate his absolute and total authority over the universe because he rules and he reigns. This is how we need to see our Jesus. So what's the takeaway truth for us? What does this have to do with us today? I believe it's this, that knowing Jesus gives us confidence to live a life of faith. It gives us confidence to make decisions that aren't about what was or or isn't about what we were comfortable with. But when you have Jesus, this understanding the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, and he sits and rules on the throne of my heart, Once we understand the work that he's done. Once we understand that Jesus is greater than anything or anyone on this earth. It commands our worship. It commands our praise. It commands our submission. That we will take every distraction, every sin, 
every bit of anger, every bit of bitterness, every, anything that hinders us and it elevates Jesus over our emotions. It elevates Jesus over our, over our temper. It elevates Jesus over our need. It elevates Jesus over our pain. And we can set Jesus as number one in our lives. And once we do that, our soul cries out and worships him because he is worthy of worship. Knowing Jesus and understanding what he's done, it's a game changer. Hebrews is this manual on how to live by faith. And once we see Jesus for who he is, all these other things fall away. And as our world implodes around us, as our world puts pressure on us, we have to have a faith that cannot be shaken. You young people, you need to know this, that the Jesus that saved you, that died on a cross for you, he is superior and greater than anything else this world has to offer. He's not some fairy tale. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if you will get that in your heart, nothing will move you no matter where you go, no matter who talks to you, no matter what ignorant professor tries to tell you that God isn't real, you will be able to stand firm and strong in your faith and resist anything that the world has to offer. Jesus is how we get everything that God has for us. It's how we keep our hearts submitted to him. It's putting Jesus in his rightful place is what keeps us from being led astray by the values of the world. There's an old story about a wealthy man who had a son. And his wife had died and so the son and the father were really close because they, they, they were all they had of each other. And they spent a lot of time together, which was um, doing their passion, which was collecting art. And the father had been able to purchase works by some of the masters like Picasso and Raphael. And eventually, over the years, his collection had become worth millions. And when the Vietnam War broke out, the son volunteered to join the Marines. And after several months, the father received the heartbreaking news that his son had died in action. But he died in action while he was rescuing a wounded Marine. And after a few months went by, a young man knocked on the door of the father. And when he opened the door, he saw this young man, Marine, standing in front of him holding a wrapped package. And the young man said, sir, you don't know me, but I was a friend of your son. In fact, I was the one that he saved in battle. And I was wounded and he was carrying me to the chopper and he was killed. But your son often talked of his love for art and how you and him would do it together. So the young man unwrapped this package and he said, I'm not much of an artist, but in honor of your son, I painted this portrait of him based upon a photo in his marine dress blues. And I'd like for you to have it, sir. And the father's eyes swelled up with tears and he thanked the young man and he offered to pay him for it, but the marine said, no, sir, it's a gift. I can never repay you for what your son has done for my life. And the father took that portrait and he hung it over the mantle, prime real estate in his home. He would always take his visitors and show them the amateur painting by the Marine. 
And years later, the man died and his artwork was auctioned off as part of the estate. And many collectors arrived. They were anxious to acquire one of these valuable pieces of art by the, by the masters and the greats. And as the auction began, the auctioneer placed the picture of the father's son that was painted by the young man on an easel. It was the first to be auctioned off. And he said, what's my bid for the picture of the owner's son? And there was silence. Finally, there was a, a voice from the back and said, um, we didn't come to bid on this unknown piece. We're here for the Rembrandts and the Van Goghs. But the auctioneer persisted. He said, the deceased left clear instructions that this piece would be the first auctioned off. So what is my bid? A hundred, two hundred, and there were no takers in the room. Finally, there was a, a voice in the back of the room, and the voice spoke up and said, I've been a gardener here for many years, and I was very fond of both the father and the son. And I'll bid on the picture of the son, I'll give you a hundred dollars. And the auctioneer said, a hundred dollars, is there another bid? And the crowd was growing impatient, and someone yelled in the back, we don't want the son, sell it, let's get on to the valuable pieces of art. And the auctioneer said, $100, going once, going twice, sold to the gentleman in the back of the room. And the man sitting on the second row said, good, now we can get on with the reason why we all came here. And the auctioneer did something very surprising. He laid his gavel down. He said, ladies and gentlemen, this concludes the auction of the day. And the crowd was frustrated and he said, well, what about the other paintings? That's why we came here. And the auctioneer said this, I received specific instructions from the will of the deceased that this would be the only painting auctioned off today. But whoever bought this painting would inherit the entire state, including all the other paintings. And the auctioneer read the words of the deceased that he left in his will. And this is what the words of the Father said, whoever chooses my son gets it all. And the book of Hebrews teaches us the same thing. 2,000 years ago, the Father sent his son to die. And to save me, and to save you from hell. And God's been asking for 2,000 years, who will take my son? Who will take my son? And whoever chooses his son, Jesus, gets it all. Gets everything that he is. Whoever places Jesus in the rightful place gets it all. That's why John wrote this in John 1, 5, 12. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. And this is the challenge for all of us today. Will you place the Son over everything else? Will you place the Son over wealth? Will you place the Son over 
our fleshly impulses and desires. Will you place the sun over your own pride? Will you place the sun number one? And if you do, you'll get everything that God has for you. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like to watch a service live online, you can join us every Sunday at 9 and 1045 a.m. at live.faith.church. For everything else, check our website at www.faith.church.